0: Welcome to our study on trusting God. This week we are looking at the wisdom of God. So how would you describe God's wisdom? Let's look at Psalms 147 verse five. It says, great is our Lord and mighty in power, his understanding is infinite. So ladies, his infinite wisdom and knowledge, knowing how to do everything perfectly knowing how to create and arrange, order and govern everything so that all things work out perfectly. God's wisdom is limitless. It is infinite. Now I want you to think about something with me for about a minute here. Jerry Bridges was an engineer in the aircraft industry where he had assisted in creating a fighter plane for the Air Force, which they ended up using for several years. Well, from an engineer's point of view, he describes the vast wisdom of God in the human body. For instance, the heart. He said, think what a challenge it would be for a team of engineers to design a pump with these specifications like a heart. So they would have to design it to have a 75-year lifespan, requiring no maintenance or lubrication the output varying between 0.025 horsepower and short bursts of 1 horsepower. It would have to weigh mm, not exceeding 10.5 ounces which would be 300 grams with a capacity of 2,000 gallons per day. And the valves they would be operating at 4,000 to 5,000 times per hour. Well, I kind of found this fascinating. And began to compare what he was saying to the actual human heart functions. And what I found was did you know that the heart beats 72 beats per minute? It is the size of your fist and has a mass of between 250 to 350 grams. Now, an adult heart pumps about 1,500 to 2,000 gallons of blood a day. It is enclosed in this double-walled sac called a pericardium, And this sac protects the heart. It anchors its surrounding and it prevents overfilling of the heart with blood. Now, it also has the outer wall of the human heart, which is composed of three layers, has four chambers, which two of them are receiving chambers and the other two are discharging chambers. Now the blood is prevented from flowing backwards by four valves and now the function of the right side and the left side of the heart are different. The right side is to collect deoxygenated blood in the right atrium pumped into the lungs. This is so that the carbon dioxide can be dropped off and oxygen picked up and then the left side it collects the oxygenated blood from the lungs into the left atrium which ends up being pumped out via the aorta and this is a whole process and I mean there is even more involved in the heart that I haven't even mentioned here but it all has a certain function and it just runs like clockwork what an awesome God we have This is just one organ, just the heart alone that is sustaining us in our body. Think about God's power. Think about his wisdom in just creating the heart alone, let alone the rest of the body. Ladies, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't we? As it says in Psalms 139 verse 14. Not only did God create us, But all creation is like an art gallery in which God displays the splendor of his wisdom. Let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter 10 and look at verse 12. It says, He has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. And then turn over to Psalms 104. And let's look at verse 24 it says O Lord how manifold are your works in wisdom you have made them all the earth is full of your possessions in all the works of nature let your mind dwell upon the glorious wisdom of God consider the beauty and the fragrance of the flowers the exquisite nature of the butterfly did you know that there are actually 700 varieties of butterflies and 8,000 varieties of moths in the United States in Canada alone. Ladies take time to gaze upon the wonderful works of nature as you see the glorious wisdom of God unfold before you. All that God does or allows in all of his creation will ultimately serve his glory. The best possible end of all of God's actions is ultimately His glory. John Piper said in his book Desiring God, the chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy Himself forever. Ladies, let's turn over to Romans chapter 11 and let's look at verse 36. It says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And then over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then finally in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, And by your will, they exist and were created. When we glorify God in our lives, we are giving him full honor and praise in our lives, trusting him in all of our circumstances, the good and the bad. You remember Gideon's army from last week, how God reduced Gideon's army to 300 soldiers who fought against 135,000 trained soldiers. It was God who received the honor and the glory for that victory, right? God's infinite wisdom is displayed in bringing good out of evil, beauty out of ashes. It is displayed in turning all the forces of evil that rage against his children into good for them. The good that God works for in us is the conformity to the likeness of His Son, as we see in Romans eight twenty-eight and 29. For it says, And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, and that He might be the firstborn among many brethren." Ladies, God knows exactly what He intends we become. And He knows exactly what circumstances, both good and bad, that are necessary to produce the results that He wants in our life. He knows infallibly, with infinite wisdom, what combination of good and bad circumstances will bring us more and more into being more Christ-like. He promises that He will not give us more than we can bear, though, right? His blending of adversity and blessings is always exactly right for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 through 11 says, For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But He, for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness, Now, no chastising seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline is not to punish us, but to transform us into His image. Verse 11 admits that discipline is painful, but it reassures us that it is profitable it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness psalms one nineteen seventy one says it is good for me that i have been afflicted that i may learn your statutes true wisdom starts with a heart full of faith not a head full of facts We are speaking of experiential learning through adversity here. Real change, deep down in our souls, occurs through adversity. That is when we grow the most, right? When we call out to God to help us, to give us strength to endure, to protect us. When you pray for patience, for instance, remember, to learn patience, you have to suffer unjustly, right? To learn to be long suffering, you may be asked even to wait when you want an answer right away. Or let's say you pray for humility. Well, you will be put into circumstances that experientially you learn to be humble, right? So you have to be careful what you're praying for here. You will be tested in order to regain those attributes. God in His infinite wisdom knows exactly what adversity we need to grow more and more into the likeness of His Son. He not only knows what we need, but when we need it and how best to bring it to pass in our life. Most of the time we don't see the results of the adversity while we're going through it, do we? And sometimes we don't even see it afterwards some maybe a little bit further down the road you know we can look back and say "Oh, okay I see why now I went through that adversity and then there's gonna be times that we may never see it until we get to heaven I'm sure Joseph didn't see the sovereign hand of God working every step of the way in his life while his brothers threw him in the pit or when he was sold into slavery and imprisoned under false allegations but once he became Prime Minister of Egypt and able to help his family he could see God's plan unfold before him Job did not know why God allowed him to go through the adversities that he went through in his life and when Job came to the point where he said in Job 34 9 for he has said it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God well God confronted him directly with a series of questions designed to humble Job and exalt himself. God does not have to explain the wise in our lives as he so eloquently explained to Job in chapters 38 through 41. And then in Job 42, 1 through 6, we see Job's response in the end. It says, Then Job answered to the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you you asked who is this who hides counsel without knowledge therefore I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know listen please and let me speak you said I will question you and you shall answer me I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear but now my eye sees you therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes ladies Job's fear of the Lord and when I talk about his fear I don't mean a trembling I mean a reverence for him to stand in awe of him this fear of the Lord had grown in Job. Job now had an experiential knowledge of God's wisdom. He now knew God personally. Not just a head knowledge but he had a heart knowledge. When it said my eye sees you, he's talking about his heart. His heart now sees God. Notice in Proverbs Nine, verse ten, also Psalms one, eleven, verse ten, and then in Proverbs one, seven, that they all state that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's turn to those. Proverbs nine, ten says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding." And then look back a couple chapters and look at uh, chapter 1 verse 7 and it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction and then flip over to Psalms and look at 111 verse 10 it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom a good understanding having all those who do his commandments his praise endures forever ladies when we fear God and learn more about him we learn to appreciate what he has done for us in our lives don't we he wants us to know him experientially not just have a head knowledge of him God uses the very circumstances around us to help shape and mold us into what he wants us to be our afflictions and adversities that we go through is for a purpose and God will fulfill that purpose according to His will. Job was humbled before the Lord through all of his adversities, through all of his afflictions, he grew into a deeper relationship with God, didn't he? The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being prideful, and Satan, he thought that would thwart Paul's ministry, but instead It humbled Paul, and he gave all honor and glory to the Lord. How many of you know of Adolf Merkel? He was a German billionaire who devoted his whole life to building up the family business. A drug company originally founded by his grandfather in 1881 that was passed down generation to generation. When Adolf inherited it, he built up the pharmaceutical business and diversified it into a hundred and twenty different companies. He was actually ranked the ninety-fourth richest man according to Forbes magazine. Well, earlier this year, Adolf Merkel committed suicide after taking a huge loss on VW stock. They say he lost millions he had to negotiate a loan and he had to sell part of his empire well some were saying that he committed suicide because he was losing his empire and he couldn't stand the loss but some of his friends say he lived a modest life in germany that he didn't have servants and bodyguards in fact he cycled to work on a fifteen-year-old bike for most of the time but when the weather was bad he drove a four-year-old VW he would stop even off and have a drink with the locals he lived in a very modest home so what made this billionaire one morning put on his coat kiss his wife and say he had to go to the office for a while and then drive to a railway embankment near his home lay down on the frozen tracks and wait patiently for a train to come and end his life well some commentators said that it was pride that even though he had taken a huge loss his empire was so diversified that he would be okay yes he would have to sell off some of his empire and negotiate alone but he would be okay when he negotiated alone he was told that his son would have to step down from the CEO position. Now remember this was a family business passed down from generation to generation and Adolf Merkel felt it was his duty to pass the torch on to his children as his most important role of his life. For his son to be given his marching orders by the banks was surely devastating to him. It was an ultimate failure. He may also have felt that he had failed his ancestors, who managed to keep the family firm going through two world wars and the Great Depression. Ladies, this man put his whole life's goal into one thing, and that was to pass on the family inheritance. He put his life's worth into the family inheritance The thought of not being able to pass the family inheritance to his son was devastating. Where do we put our life's worth? What are we passing down generation to generation? What family inheritance are we leaving? Ladies our Heavenly Father has an inheritance that he wants to pass down generation to generation Adolf Merkel gave his life because he couldn't pass on a family inheritance and he wasted his life but Jesus Christ he gave his life freely so that we can take part in the family inheritance what an awesome God we have ladies in these times of financial struggles We have to remember that it's not about the things that we have it's not about how much money we lose it's about who we put our faith in who do we trust in our life to meet our needs God is in control of every aspect of our life and we need to be looking through his eyes and not the eyes of circumstances We need to stop asking why. We need to stop focusing on the reasons for our difficulties and seek what God is trying to show us through the adversity. We need to learn to trust God when he doesn't tell us why things are happening around us. When we don't understand what is happening, we need to know and trust God that he wants what is best for us not what we think is best for us but what he knows is best for us let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 55 as we look at verses 8 through 10 it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my ways your ways says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This has been a really long winter this year. and the ground, it seems to be saturated with water, doesn't it? There is flooding and destruction, but who is in control of the weather? God does and we have to trust that he knows the destruction that is happening he knows our concerns he knows the answer to the question why it is not for us to question but to seek his will and purpose Sigmund Freud said just as a cautious businessman avoids investing all his capital in one concern so wisdom would probably admonish us also not to anticipate all of our happiness from one quarter alone. Ladies, if we are to experience peace in our souls in times of adversity, we must come to the place where we truly believe that God's ways are simply beyond us and stop asking Him why. We need to come to a place where we can say, God. I do not understand why but I will trust you that you see the whole picture and you know what is best even when I don't understand it Psalms 131 verse 1 says a song of a sense of David Lord my heart is not haughty nor my eyes lofty neither do I concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me Sometimes, ladies, it is hard to let go, isn't it? It is hard to not question why. But as David said in this psalm, Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Ladies, we are not to concern ourselves with all the details of life. We do not have all the answers, but we know who does. And we need to put our faith and trust in Him. Deuteronomy 8 1 through 5 says every commandment which I command you today you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to the fathers and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not so he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord your garments did not wear out on you nor did your foot swell these 40 years you should know in your heart that a man chastens his son so the Lord your God chastens you God taught the nation through his divine providence didn't he through putting them in a situation where they could not simply go to the cupboard for their daily bread that they were utterly dependent upon him How many times does God do that to us, right? God was leading them to a land where material provisions would be naturally plentiful. And he knew they would be tempted by pride to take the credit for their success. So before they entered into the land, God taught them of their dependence through his divine providence. We need to trust God through all of our adversities, through all of the trials, and seek to learn what he is trying to teach us. When Sir Isaac Newton, the great English scientist, was an older man, someone said to him, Dr. Newton, you must have a tremendous store of knowledge. Well, he responded, I remind myself of a little boy walking along the seashore picking up shells. The boy has a handful of shells in his little hand, but all around him is the vast seashore stretching all directions as far as the eye can see. All that I know is simply a handful of seashells, but the vast universe of God is filled with knowledge that I do not possess. Ladies, in this study, we are learning of the vastness of God's control, that every aspect of our lives are in the hands of our sovereign Savior, that He is in control, and that we can trust Him to work things out according to His purpose and His will for our life. God's wisdom is greater than the wisdom of any of our adversaries, whether they are other people or the devil himself. Therefore, we should not think fear what they can do to us or even what they have done to us. God is just as much at work in those things as he is in the adversities of sickness, of death, of financial reversal, and the ravages of nature. The legend of the Cherokee Indian youth's rite of passage is where the Father takes him into the forest. He blindfolds him and leaves him alone He is required to sit on that stump the whole night and not move. He cannot remove the blindfold until the rays of the morning sunshine shines through it. And once he survives the night, then he is a man. He cannot tell any of the other boys of his experience because each of those boys has to discover it for himself in order to become a man. So. Here the father is, he puts the blindfold on him, sits him on the stump, and leaves him alone. Well, the boy, he is naturally terrified, right? He can hear all kinds of noises. The wild beasts surely are around him. The wind is blowing, the grass and the earth, and it's shaking that stump. And he just sits there stoically, never removing that blindfold. Because he knows that this is the only way that he can become a man. Well, finally, after a horrific night, the sun begins to shine through that blindfold. It was then that he discovered, when he took that blindfold off, that his father had been sitting on the stump right next to him. He had been there, watching the entire night, protecting his son from harm. But the son didn't know it. We two ladies are never alone Even when we don't know it, God is watching over us. He is sitting on the stump beside us. And when trouble comes, all we have to do is reach out to Him, right? Ladies, just because you can't see God doesn't mean that He's not there. For we walk by faith and not by sight. God, in His infinite wisdom, created each and every one of us. In every circumstance of our life, He is molding us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember the story of the heart that I had told you in the beginning? Remember the intricate aspects of that that takes place every minute of our lives to sustain us? If God did that, and much more in the rest of our body, don't you think He is going to sustain you in every aspect of your life now? Every event in your life, everything you do, everything that happens to you is somehow woven together into a fabric that is making you more Christ-like. There are millions of such events in your life each year, and God orchestrates them all for your good. But you're just one person. Think about that. No one knows how many true Christians there are really in the world. But let's just assume about 1 billion, for argument's sake here. 1 billion out of 6 billion people. Now, multiply that number by a million of events occurring in each believer's life every year. And you see the sheer magnitude of God's work. Only God could do that, and He chose you to be His child. Ladies, we serve an awesome God. Next week, we're going to be looking at Lesson 8 as we cover Chapters 9 and 10 as we look at God's love. Until then, God bless.